Strange Brew Podcast Season 1, Episode 83. 83. The Brewers and Braves go toe-to-toe at Anfan Field. The Brewers lost the series. We'll talk about all of it. We'll break it all down. This weekend, though, showed you that this team is a team that can win a pennant, that could make the World Series. They went toe-to-toe with the best team in baseball, a team 30 games over 500. They could have won all three games. Every game was close. We'll talk about the South Freelick debut as well. Not great at expectation management on Saturday. What a scene, though, at AmFam Field with his family in town. That was a big part of the weekend as well. We will break down the Open Championship a bit. We got skunked. We went over. First time we've gone over on a tournament this year. No top tens, and Rory could not win it, although he was knocking on the door again. Brian Harmon gets the Claret Jug and the Open Championship. It is Packer Stockholder Day, which I have been a stockholder since 2011, and I didn't know about that until half an hour ago. We'll talk about that, too. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's high! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Wisconsin, record-breaking run! Morgan, a smash up the middle, base hit the center! Here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win! Here's the snap, he looks, he throws, it's high! And there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive gets inside, leads in, backed away, and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul, and a pinnacle ball throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there, and they're the champions. They have done it. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. By the way, just as a follow-up, I was talking on Friday's podcast and on the Friday morning show about my seasoned coffee mug that still sits next to me, as seasoned as ever. I'm holding strong. I'm not washing this bad boy. I had that poll up, basically, on the text line for B93 and on the B93 Facebook page and on my Facebook page. I took a picture of it with all the coffee residue caked on the inside of it because it never gets washed. And I think I ended up pretty much at 50-50. It was pretty much a 50-50 split in the comments of, is this disgusting or is this seasoned? Several people said this is seasoned. This is exactly what I do. It adds to the flavor. And about 50% of the other people said, you are disgusting. You are an offensive. What's the line from Seinfeld? It's Kramer's birthday today. Michael Richards' birthday, 74 years old. You are a loathsome, offensive brute, yet I cannot look away. 50% 50% of the people found me disgusting. 50% of the people found it acceptable, which is basically a metaphor for the entire morning show. The entire time I've been on the air on B93, going back to 2006 on the air and 2009 with the morning show, 50-50. 50% of the people found me disgusting. 50% of the people found it acceptable. B93, that's where I like to live, right in the meaty part of the curve. It was surprising to me. I figured by the end of it, I would be on the more disgusting side than the season side. It sort of surprised me how many people do this. And it seemed to be really a work thing. I don't know if this is something that a lot of people are doing at home. And I talked about this on Friday, but it happened again on Sunday where we got up. My wife and I got up on Sunday morning, watched CBS Sunday morning. That's what everybody should do. 
CBS Sunday Morning, one of the best hour and a half television shows out there. You can kind of passively watch it, get invested in the stories you want to, have a coffee, read Twitter, read the paper on your phone or on an iPhone or on a tablet or whatever. It's a nice, casual, calm coffee CBS Sunday morning. I got up at about 7.30, 7.45, and I did what I do most Sunday mornings, and she's not wrong. I'm the person who does most of the cooking in our house, and for that reason, I'm the one who's in the kitchen the most. The first thing I did on Sunday morning as the coffee was brewing was clean up the top of the stove, make sure you get all the crap off of there, put some dishes away, wash out some of her travel coffee mugs, Get the the wipes out, the Clorox wipes, and wipe down all the countertops. I do it every weekend morning. Every Saturday and Sunday morning, I spend probably about five to ten minutes wiping down the kitchen, finishing off some dishes maybe I didn't do the night before, putting those away. And she said to me, well, I don't understand how you can put such a disgusting mug on your Facebook page yesterday, and then this is what you do every Saturday and Sunday morning at home. I do not understand the connection there between that being the same person. The person that spends 10 minutes every weekend morning wiping down and cleaning the kitchen, and the person that's at work and leaves coffee residue on the inside of his mug, coffee mold, which it may or may not be. I did some Google searching on that. It doesn't seem like it's mold. 70% sure it's not mold. Where's the connection, though, between that person being the exact same person? I said, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. I think a lot of people are like that. I think I'm not the only person on the planet whose work etiquette and work life are very different from what he or she, what they do at home. I don't know. I can't explain it. I can't explain my slob behavior here, maybe because I feel like I have to keep the house clean. This is my outlet where I don't have to be as clean. I don't know. I cannot... Connect those two dots. I have no idea why I am the way I am here and why I am the way I am at home. But she is not wrong. As I was in the middle of Cloroxing everything on the white countertops we have, then for that to be the same person with this kind of a mug I'm holding right now that's toxic, I have no idea. 50-50, though. 50-50 split. It is, by the way, Packer Stockholder Meeting Day. Are you? Is anybody else? Is anybody out there on their way up or down listening to the podcast? I have been an owner of this team since 2010. When did they go on sale? Not the most recent one. There's only been one since the Super Bowl championship or two. They won the title in 2010, and then they thought this would be a good time to charge people $300 for a piece of parchment paper, and they were not incorrect. Because I and a couple of my buddies bought in and got our stock, got our parchment paper with our name on it and all that kind of stuff. That must have been the offseason before the 2011 season, after the Super Bowl 45 championship. Then there's only been one other one, correct? The one that was just a year or two ago. I know my wife got her dad a stock, a piece of stock. I don't know if her brother has one. I feel like that was a Christmas ago or two Christmases ago, maybe. Maybe it was two years ago. Those are the only ones, though, after Super Bowl 45. I'm pretty sure. I'm, I don't think I'm missing one in there. I bought mine in 2011. I got to be honest, I have never been to the stockholder meeting. I've been told it's worth going to. I don't know. You got to take a day off of work and sit up at Hot Lambeau Field today. It's going to be about the the heat is going to be the surface of the sun. Alderaan up there at Lambeau Field in the mid to upper 80s and 90s. Sitting there, and then what happens? You sit in the stadium. Do you get a free hot dog? <laughs> you get a free brat? I might be if there's a free brat. If there's a free double brat at stake, I may make my way up next year. I would guess you get some free food, or are you getting charged? You're paying $300 for the parchment paper. 
You get to call yourself an owner. You drive your butt up there the last July Monday of the year, and then do you pay for concessions? You get in Lambo. I'm sure there's some tailgating component. I'm sure it's fun for people that make a thing out of it every year. Then what happens? They come out and address you, right? Mark Murphy comes out and addresses the field or all the owners, and Goody does too, right? Or Ted Thompson did back in the day. I'm pretty sure Ron Wolf did back in the day, and people can boo him. Is there a Q&A that people actually get to take part in? I don't know what the actual events are the day of. I have been negligent in my ownership duties, though. I've been a very passive owner. I'm not a meddler. Some owners, like Herb Cole, some owners are meddlers to an annoying degree. Not me. I have so little to do with the day-to-day. I've just never been up there. And if I'm totally honest, we moved We moved into our house in 2010. That's the address that's I believe that the Packers still have for all the mailings I would get or the invites or the tickets you get for stockholder day, stockholder meeting day. We moved in 2017 to our current house, and I just never changed the address. I never get any mail. I'm certain whomever it is that purchased our house in 2017, in the summer of 2017 or 2020 or whenever we actually sold that house, we, I'm sure they get mail every year to Jonathan Hensler that's inviting them to the stockholder meeting. Maybe they're going. Maybe the people that live in the old house are the ones that are making their way up with my tickets today. I hope they are. I hope someone's using them. I just never changed that over, and I don't think I probably ever will. I've got the paper. That's all you want. I've got the paper. I've got it framed. I've got my name on it. That's where my ownership ends. That is today, though. I'm pretty sure that's all that happens. You do a little tailgating. You get in Lambeau Field. That's kind of cool. You sit there and have a good time, and then they address you, and maybe there's a little Q&A thing or whatever. They give you the state of the franchise, and that's probably it. Then you go to post-tailgate and pack it up and head home. I don't know. It doesn't sound like an awful three-day weekend. It's not something I'm interested in. But that is today. Training camp opens on Wednesday. Did you see this Aaron Rodgers on the Jets? He looked to me. They had Sauce Gardner, who is an elite cornerback. They had him... And they did a whole thing on Jets Twitter. They made a whole video out of it. He gave Aaron a piece of bling. He gave him a diamond-encrusted eight for the jersey number, for the number eight jersey number. When he put this thing on Rodgers, he reminded me of Steve Buscemi. If you ever watched the TV show 30 Rock, when he says, how do you do, fellow kids? He's trying to do some kind of covert work in a high school, and he's 60 years old. <laughs> he comes out with a skateboard and a backwards hat. How do you do, fellow kids? What? That's what Aaron Rodgers looks like to me in this whole scene. Hello. How do you do, fellow young people? How do you do, fellow kids? What? The Jets also had the first official media photo session where everybody was in the full pads and the Kelly Green Jets helmet. I don't know. Rodgers, I mean, he's not young. He's he's my age. We're not young. We're not that young. Whenever anybody asks me how old I am or whatever we talk about that on the air, that's the clip I play from the Wedding Crashers. Well, I wouldn't say I'm young. I'm not old, but I'm not that young. You're not that young. The picture of him in that Jets jersey, and he wears the kind of oversized helmet, which he was wearing in Green Bay. I'm pretty sure that is intended to cushion your head more for whenever you take a big shot or you slam it on the ground. Just the way he looks now with the gray and the giant helmet, I don't know. It just looks It looks off. It looks a little off. But Hard Knocks is filming. They are filming, or they started filming last week. Maybe that's all a part of it. All the promo videos that we've seen, all the random Jets videos that we've seen recently. I would think we are probably three weeks away from episode one of Hard Knocks, which is going to be appointment viewing for a lot of folks, and especially those that work in the media, myself included, because it's content. In a contentless time of year, it is content. 
I had to laugh though at that video of Sauce Gardner blinging Aaron Rodgers up. It was just he just looked like a <laughs> just looked like that Steve Buscemi 30 Rock character. Okay, Brew Crew over the weekend. So much to get to with this series. The MLB best Atlanta Braves in town. Best team in baseball record-wise by almost any statistical measure too. They are, they were and are the best team in baseball. We said on Friday that if they win this series, after the way they started the six-game road trip, five and one on the six-game trip, if they win this series, I am going to come back and plead. I'm going to do a 30-minute open mic plea to Matt Arnold to get this team, not one, at least one though, get one, hopefully two bats, an impact bat and an above-average bat, a serviceable bat to put in the middle of this order. They didn't win the series, but my plea remains the same. We'll probably do more of the trade deadline stuff on Friday, though. I thought the deadline was this weekend for some reason. The deadline is next Tuesday. We'll have two more podcasts before then. What this team proved to me and should have proved to all Brewers fans is something we talked about on Friday. This is a team that can do more than win the NL Central. That has been the popular sentiment with some Brewers fans, not all. And with some baseball fans, not all, when they have an interpretation on the Brewers, it's that they, with the pitching, with the starting pitching in the bullpen, they can win the NL Central. But when it comes to winning in the NLDS or the NLCS or winning a pennant or making a World Series, the narrative the whole year has been they can't quite do that. They don't have the offense to do that. And I don't disagree. The offense has been bad, inept in some areas. This series, though, proves to me They can go toe-to-toe with the best in the National League. The Braves are the best team in the National League and arguably the best team in baseball. You can throw the Rays in there. You can throw the Baltimore Orioles in there out of nowhere. Texas is having a great year. Of course, you've got the Astros lurking and the Dodgers and teams like that, some of the teams that we're used to seeing in the past five to six years. They welcomed in the Braves. Just about a sellout every game, too, at AmFam Field. 40,000-ish strong Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Every game was close, and every game had a playoff atmosphere. Every game they could have won. They lose the series. It is their first series loss, by the way, since June 19th. I understand, and understandably so, people were upset. Brewers fans were bummed out that they lost the game on Sunday when they were five outs away from winning it, and you end up losing the series. They were going to lose a series, though. They were 6-0-1 in their last seven series, had not lost a series since June 19th. It is currently July 24th, in case you needed a date, a time and temp update. Remember that person you used to call in the morning when you were in the 90s, when we lived in the 90s? You would call five in Sheboygan. It was 4580123, the time and temp lady. She would give you the recorded voice. She'd give you the temperature in the morning, and she would she would give you the date and the time, the correct time. Is that even a thing that exists? If you need a time and date update, though, we're recording this at 940 in the morning, July 24th. They had not lost a series since June 19th. And like I said, every game was winnable. All of those games were on the table. They went toe-to-toe with the best team in baseball without Corbin Burns pitching over the weekend and still without Brandon Woodruff, and they could have won every one of those games. Watching that series, now maybe things, maybe we'll feel differently with however this week plays out, and then they're in Atlanta this coming weekend. Maybe one week from today when we're recording this podcast on July 31st, maybe we'll feel differently. But right now, what this past weekend proved to me was, yes, you still need a bat. You probably need two bats. But even without those bats, they were nose-to-nose in tight ball games the entire weekend with the best team in baseball. This team can do more than win a wild card, than win the NL Central. Because of the pitching, the starting pitching and the elite bullpen, the offense gives them just enough for the most part, or has for the last month at least, 
they can win a best of five or a best of series against one of these teams. Not going to be easy, but to just totally write them off at this point in a series in the playoffs against the Braves or in a series in the playoffs against the Dodgers is insane with the way that they're playing, and they have proved it now over the course of 40-ish games, and hopefully will continue to prove it this week. Friday was a tight one, 6-4 to loss. They were all tight. 6-4 to loss on Friday. Freddie's got to be better. One of those rare four-run games they lost. They are now 44-10. and from 44 and 9 to 44 and 10 on the year when they score four runs or better. They were down 6 to 2. They had the lead. They had that quick 2 0 lead. Felt you were off to a really good start on Friday. Freddie didn't have it. Freddie's last start before Friday was awesome. His best start of the year, six shutout innings, had 10 strikeouts in that victory in Cincinnati. That was his best start. This wasn't his worst start of the year. He's been uneven for a lot of the year. He's got to be better. He just has to be better. He and Burns of the rotation we thought they were going to have going into the year with guys like Woodruff and guys like Eric Lauer, that starting rotation, Ashby, and it's been injury-plagued. It's been Peralta and Burns that have made each of their turns. I don't think Freddie's missed a start. I know Corbin hasn't. Corbin's been fantastic the last month and was pretty good before that. Freddie's been very up and down. That ERA is sitting at 4.7, 4.75 coming out of Friday. It's such an odd year, and he was a little defiant in the postgame. I don't know if it was McCalvey or what beat reporter was talking to him about not having his A game against a team like that and talking to him about his numbers and the ERA approaching five. And he kind of said, and Freddie doesn't get give you a lot of attitude a lot other than we, I mean, every interview I've seen with Freddie, we love because he's so passionate. His heart is so in the game. I can't tell you. He's probably had three or four interviews in the past two or three years where he's tearing up during an interview because he loves this team so much and he wants to do so well. This one, he had a little more of an edge to him, which I don't hate. He said, look, I've got 10 starts left. Let me do the 10 starts and we'll see where I'm at. Let's just see where I'm at after the last 10 starts of the year. It's so odd. His stuff has been so good this year. We've been over this on the podcast a lot. The velocity is up two or three miles per hour. Every pitch has good movement on it. He's just not locating consistently. It's got to be frustrating for him having the best stuff of his career and being healthy. He's a guy, too. Even a couple of years ago in 2021 when he went 10-5 and with an ERA in the two fives or two sixes, even then he had probably four to five starts he missed that year. It seems like he misses a handful of starts every year. This is as healthy as he's been and as good as his stuff has been, and the results just haven't been there. He's six and eight on the year with that ERA of about four seven five coming out of the loss on Friday. He's got to be better, but he seemed to understand that. He knew that in the postgame wrap-up. He's got to be better, especially in big games like that with big crowds against elite teams. Willie Adamas did a two-run bomb in that game. That was kind of encouraging. Six to four loss. They had two guys on late, too, just couldn't cash in. Then Saturday was the South Relook game. You talk about one of the worst expectation management games for a rookie making his debut. I always preach expectation management. Whatever you set the bar at, your first week at work, your first month at work, your first game in Major League Baseball, that's going to be the expectation. What a moment on Saturday. They call him up. Well, I think they technically called him up on Friday night when he got the call. Did you see in the video, too? It was such a cool video. I love the call-up videos. We talked about Abner Uribe's a few days ago, too, where he was tearing up and calling his mom. I love those videos when the minor leaguers get their first call-up to the big leagues. I did have to not laugh. I don't know what my reaction was. He gets that call, and he's at the clubhouse dinner table in the locker room in Nashville and sitting right next to him, Keston here. <laughs> can we just – can you pass the phone? Pass the phone. And give Keston another call-up. He's already had his first call-up. He's already had several call-ups, and, and then he's had several send-back downs. 
with the fan with Brewer fandom on social media and myself very much in the mix there on the podcast and on the air and on blogs and whatever, we're all very much in favor of giving Keston one last chance because the offense has been so bad, especially at first base, especially at DH. We've been calling for Keston louder now in the past week or two than we have all year. For him to be sitting right next to Freelick in that moment did make me feel a little bad for Keston. He gets that call, makes his debut right away on Saturday. Three hits in his first three at-bats. And he showed you the type of player he is. He's a contact guy. He's going to put it in play. He's got speed. Not the biggest dude in the world. He does have some power. I don't know how that's going to translate to the major league level. In the minor leagues, he's a guy who could hit you 15 to 20 home runs a year. I don't know what to expect from him at the major league level when it comes to putting up 15, 20 bombs a season. But he said at the end of the game on Saturday, that's my game. That's putting the ball in play, trying to hit it where they're not. But if they are there, trying to beat them out, put pressure on the defense. Three hits in his first three at-bats, the third of which was the game-tying run, that opposite field single to left field. That tied the game at three. Brewers are down 3 nothing. They don't come back a lot. They hold on to leads very well because of the bullpen. They do not come back on teams a ton. To see them rally from 3-0 down against the Braves was very encouraging. That third hit was the game-tying hit. He also had two sensational web gem catches, one going toward the left field line or the right field line against the wall, and then one shading more towards center field, also diving toward the wall. And then at the end of the game, with the runner on third and one out in the eighth inning, bottom of the eighth inning, he put his best contact on a ball on that at-bat, the the at-bat that resulted in an out and a sack fly that did score the go-ahead run. Willie Adamas skating in just in front of that throw from Acuna in right field. That was his best contact of the game. Off the bat, I thought that was his fourth hit of the night, but he gets the sack fly, That puts the Brewers up. Three hits, has the sack fly, has the game-tying hit, and two tremendous web gem catches. It doesn't get a whole lot better than that for Freelick. We talked on the podcast either on Friday or last Monday about people that you would throw into a potential trade if you were going to go and get a huge bat like an Otani, like a Goldschmidt, like an Arenado. I believe I said at the time that everyone not named Jackson Churio, in my mind, would be on the list of tradable players. Maybe Jacob Mizorowski as well, their top pitching prospect. I would now add Sal Freelick to that list. <laughs> a week ago, I would have traded Sal. If you would have asked me on a Friday podcast or last Monday's podcast, John, the Brewers can go get Shohei Otani. They're going to have to give up the catcher, Caro, and Freelick and one other prospect. I would have done it. Not now. Not anymore. My attitude towards Selfie Look has changed dramatically. And then he was in the lineup as the cleanup hitter on Sunday, which is a tip of the cap to how great his debut was. It also kind of speaks to how lackluster the middle of the order has been for the Brewers for so long that you put a rookie in his second day in the major leagues in that spot because nobody else has been able to produce in that spot. And he had another hit on Sunday and another run scored, one for three on Sunday, batting 667 on the year two games into his major league career. That was very encouraging, though. He was the second highest-rated prospect in the Brewers system, 17th best prospect in in baseball, and just an extraordinary debut on Saturday and followed that up with a pretty good game on Sunday as well for a team that has lacked any kind of offensive pop or just getting on base or hits with runners in scoring position, just basic stuff, putting the ball in play. Let's hope that we're going to see more of that from Sal Freelick. And he was such a likable guy in the postgame, too. He had the postgame interview on the field with Rosenthal. That was a nationally televised game on Saturday. You talk about making an impression not just on Brewers fans, but on the national TV audience. Then in the locker room, McCalvey posted his usual postgame interview with a player. 
And he basically said, look, this was great. My goal is to come out here and do this every day. I'm probably not going to do that every day. My goal is to do that, though. Just get out there and help the team. He did kind of give the nuclear loose, <laughs> just trying to help the team put the ball in play, put pressure on a defense, and be an important part of this team offensively and defensively. He seems like a really likable kid on top of everything else. Saturday was the free lick game. Then on Sunday, another tight one. Some of the things I like on Sunday, good start from Julio Tehran. We talked on Friday about there's maybe we're maybe getting to a spot where the magic is running out. And it happens a lot with guys like that, especially in Major League Baseball. Guys that had not been at the Major League level for a year or two after having some success in the early part of the career, maybe some injuries or whatever derail them. They're not in baseball for a while. Then they come back, and initially things are really good. But that kind of wears off the more at-bats they get or the more times they're on the mound, the more hitters see them, especially in a pitcher's case. After you've been through four or five starts, more film on him. They know what he's going to try to do. He doesn't have the best velocity in the world anymore. It just felt like after the first six starts, which you could never have asked for anything more out of Tehran's first six starts, the last three had been really bad. It started to feel like, well, maybe there's a reason this guy had not been in Major League Baseball in basically three or four seasons. It was really encouraging to see him against an elite offense against his former team, the team that he made two all-star appearances with. To see him go six innings of one run ball, his location was so much better. He's never going to be a high velo guy anymore. He was a guy in Atlanta in the early part of his career. I remember him pitching against the Brewers, and the Brewers couldn't touch him in the early part of his career, where he was throwing 94, 95, 96. He is mid to upper 80s now. His location is so good, though, and he's crafty. He's got four or five pitches. He can mix things up pretty well. He's got three he relies on. He's just smart. He's a guy who knows how to pitch, and we saw that again on Sunday, six innings of one run ball against that offense. That offense, by the way, this weekend shows you the not that we didn't know the Brewer offense wasn't good, but when you look at their one through nine and you just sit down and watch three or four innings of one of those games this weekend and you see all the guys for the Braves that are coming to bat, and they're all hitting 280, 270, 280. They're all hitting for power. They're all getting on base. There are almost no holes in that lineup. And then you have the Brewer lineup where after you get past the first three or four, it's just a bunch of guys. And you're hoping that they can find it on a given night. But more often than not, it seems like they're not finding it on a given night. Just having those two lineups out there and being able to sit and watch games and see what a world-class offense looks like. The Brewers have some work to do before the deadline or call-ups or whatever they're going to do to try to supplement that offense. Just seeing that, though, really emphasized the holes the Brewers have in their lineup. However, Tehran outstanding six innings of one run ball they have the two to one lead Terang went yard they get the two to one lead it's the eighth inning and at some point the bullpen was going to give up a run and they do it in a tough spot Elvis Peguero who's been phenomenal gives up a three run bomb to Ozzy Albies another really good hitter for the Braves that put Atlanta up four to two and the Brewers do not come back after that and they fall in the finale four to two. Five outs away though from getting that two to one win. My guess is Piamps would have been the closer on Sunday. He got the win and set up on Saturday. Williams had to throw a lot of pitches to get that twenty fifth save on Saturday with the bases loaded at the end of it. I think Piamps would have been the guy in the ninth inning, and that's why Piguero was in the eighth inning. This, of course, led to a preposterous amount of discussion on Brewer Twitter about Craig Council's bullpen management. Yes, that's a real thing I just said. There were a lot of Brewers fans on Twitter after the game second-guessing Craig Council's bullpen management. This is a bullpen, by the way, that had not given up a run in almost 29 innings, and the guy that he went to in the eighth inning 
is one of the key players of that bullpen. The Brewers have an elite bullpen, arguably the best bullpen in baseball, top three minimum. The three premier guys, and they've gotten contributions from a lot of guys. Bryce Wilson was great on Friday. He kept them in the game against his former team. He's been good in kind of mop-up duty. Not low leverage, but not high leverage. Obviously, Hobie Milner's been a huge part of it. The three biggest guys, though, are Piguero, Piamps, and Williams. Seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. When the Brewers have been hot in this last month and this run that they've been on, not giving up runs out of the bullpen, who have the three guys been? Piguero, Piamps, and Williams. Eventually, one of them, or all of them, at some point before the end of the year, are going to give up runs. That doesn't mean it wasn't the right move to put them in. Bullpen second-guessing. You as a manager in baseball could be perfect with bullpen management 98% of the time. The 2% of the time where something goes wrong, you immediately become a manager who has no idea how to manage the bullpen. The one thing that this team has going for it that has been consistent all year has been elite bullpen work and great bullpen management. It's not going to be perfect. I had to laugh, though, going on Twitter just to see some of the reaction after the loss on Sunday. And a lot of it was positive. A lot of it was what we're talking about. Hey, they went toe-to-toe with the best team in baseball, and they could have swept the series. They proved they can match up with this team. They've got to get a few things. They've got to get a few offensive pieces. But they proved this weekend they can hang with the best team in baseball, a team that's 30 games over 500 and is probably going to win 100-plus games. That was most of it. But there was some of it. I can't believe he put Piguero in in the eighth inning. What? What? Piguero has been great all year. I just don't understand it. The second guessing was they should have left Abner Uribe in. Uribe got the final out of the seventh inning after Milner got the first two outs. Of course, after you see Piguero giving up a three-run home run, it's very easy to go back and say, well, they shouldn't have put him in there. If Craig Council would have had the foresight to see Elvis Piguero giving up a three-run home run and the lead in the eighth inning, I bet he probably wouldn't have put him in. But Piguero hasn't given up a run in four weeks. Yes, if you see what had happened and then you go back at the box score and say, well, Abner Uribe was only used for one out. Why couldn't they have kept him in the game and then gone to Piamps in the ninth inning? Well, knowing what we know, knowing the result makes it much easier to manage in hindsight. Piguero's the right call. The only time that I think you can go back and rehash or relitigate a bad bullpen decision is if Council would have put somebody in that game a low-leverage arm in the eighth inning when he had high-leverage arms available. You know what I mean? A two-to-one game, and he puts J.C. Mejia in in the eighth inning when he has guys available. I know that happened earlier in the year where he put Mejia in the eighth inning in a game, but that's because he didn't have his high-leverage guys available. They had all been used up the previous week. If you put a low-leverage guy into a high-leverage situation when you have high-leverage guys available and that guy blows it, then I could understand getting on Twitter and saying, what was Council doing? Why was he putting that guy in that spot? When you put a high-leverage guy in a high-leverage situation where it's worked 95% of the year and 97% of the year and it doesn't work that time, I just don't understand getting on Twitter or Facebook and bitching about how Council doesn't know how to manage a bullpen. That's the one thing, if you want to criticize Council, that's the one thing I know for sure that he does well. Other things you could maybe criticize, roster construction and changing the lineup every other night. One of the last things that I'd question Council on is his bullpen management. That's the reason the Brewers are in first place with how bad the offense has been and all of the injuries they've sustained. The bullpen and his management of it is what has kept them in this race and what has them in first place today. Crazy, crazy second guessing at the end of that game. They lose that one 4-2 to two and they lose the series 
Now you get no breaks. They are 6-3 and three now in this 15-game stretch that started with the beginning of the second half with that six-game road trip. They swept Cincy, took two of three from Philly. You lose your first series in more than a month to the best team in baseball. You don't get a breather, though, and that's the, that's the difficult part about this 15-game stretch. The Reds now are hot again. They've won five in a row. They are a half game out of first place, one back in the loss column, having played one more game as we enter play tonight. You don't get that Monday day off. This is not a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday series. You are right back in the fire. You're right back in the kiln tonight. The Reds are going to be looking for some revenge, too. You know they cannot be happy about, what are they, 2-8? Eight, and eight. The Brewers are 8-2 and two in 10 games against the Reds this year. And the Reds are just going to be chomping at the bit. Champing, chomping? to get after it and get some wins against the Brewers in the final series these two teams will play this year. It starts tonight, 7-10. You've got Colin Ray on the hill. You don't have many other options. As we've talked about, though, they are 10-7 and in starts that Ray has made. Graham Ashcraft is going for the Reds. He's okay in spots. He has had a few good starts against the Brewers in his career. 5-7, and seven, though, with a 5.77 ERA. Hopefully the offense can get going again tonight. Then tomorrow it's Corbin Burns. Love that with the way he's been going, taking on that rookie lefty Abbott again. It ends with Freddie Peralta with an afternoon start on Wednesday. And then you go to Atlanta. You do get the day off on Thursday. Then you're right back at it with the Braves, Hauser, Tehran, and Ray going Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Some other good news on the injury front over the weekend. Brandon Woodruff made his first rehab start on the road for the T-Rats. The thing you look for in these, especially with the shoulder injury, is where is the velocity? I don't care how many pitches. I don't care how many runs he gives up, how many hits he gets up. I'll never understand fans that obsess over that on rehab starts. Oh, my God, he gave up six runs in a single-A game. Well, it's like spring training. He's probably working on stuff. The most important part to me was he went three innings, and he hit 98 on the gun, which is right where you want to be with Woodruff. That's his calling card with that fastball between 95 and 97, 98, sometimes 99. The velocity was great news. That's one start of what they're saying is a minimum three, and they're really making a point to say minimum. (laughs) Council is, the training staff, they all are whenever they're talked to about it. They're all saying three rehab starts minimum, being very sure to put that word in there. We hope that's it. That would mean he makes one more start this week and then probably next week. Then maybe he's back right after the trade deadline, that first full week of August, starting on Monday, August 7th. If it's just three three rehab starts, he's likely going to be on a pitch count. My guess is he will be anyway, but he'll be on a more strict pitch count if he's only making the three rehab starts. The good news was you got the first one out of the way. It doesn't sound like there were any setbacks, and the velocity was up. We're probably still mid-August, though, from getting Brandon Woodruff back in the rotation. That was good news. Aaron Ashby had good news. It does look like he is going to be on this team late August, early September as a left-hand reliever option, just another guy you can go to. And outside of Milner, unless I'm forgetting something, they had that decision to make on, oh, what is his name? (laughs) It's a lefty at Tommy John. They signed him two years ago. Justin Wilson. And Wilson had good numbers. They signed him in the 2021 season. He got hurt that year. Tommy John out all of last year. His career numbers are good. He might give you another left-handed presence. But if Ashby can make it back late September, earlier, late August, early September, you'll have another lefty with fantastic stuff that you can go to. I'm not sure coming off of an injury if you're going to throw him into big high leverage situations at any point maybe late in September if he's going well and things are going well since he's been back he's another guy that you could add into the mix pitching wise though good news on both Woodruff and Ashby coming out of the weekend also 
The record is 55 and 45 as they get set for Cincy tonight, 7-10. We're in it now, man. We're in the boiler room now. Every series is big now. When you're in the run for a division title, you're just before the trade deadline trying to prove you're a contender, which they are. Hopefully they pick somebody up. We are eight days away from that trade deadline. We'll talk more about that on Friday. And we'll wrap up today on the Open Championship. We got skunked. It hasn't happened yet this year. We've been betting on a lot more tournaments. We've been doing our usual major bets, but also we've been adding in the top 10s and the top 5s and the top 20s. And we've been hitting for the most part. Nothing at the Open Championship. Brian Harmon wins it. He had that little rumble on Saturday morning where he dropped two shots right away. And you kind of thought, like we talked about on Friday, well, maybe that sitting on top of that leaderboard at a major championship and the weather wasn't great. John Rahm was breathing down his neck. Some big names were moving up on the leaderboard. Thought Harmon might come back to the pack, but to his credit, he stabilized. He ended that day, what, 11 under or 12 under, and he wins the tournament. His first ever major for the Georgian. Our boy Rory was there again, 6 under, finished in 4th place or 5th place. He's just top 10 all the time. We've cashed a bunch of Rory top 10 tickets. I didn't hedge on him in the top 10. I should have. I had him to win. He didn't win. At some point, he is going to win another major. It's been how many years now? Almost a decade? It's been a long time since he's won one, but he's just always there. He's always hanging around, and he'll be a top three favorite again, I'm sure, when the next major comes around. Well, I guess we're looking all the way to the Masters at that point. He will be right there again, though, as one of the top guys that could win it. At some point, it's going to happen. We didn't get Jordan Speed in the top 10. We did not get Scotty Scheffler in the top 10, which has been rare for Scotty Scheffler this year so far. But Brian Harmon, the Open Championship winner. Team USA World Cup, they took care of business against Vietnam. Didn't look like they were playing their A lineup most of the night. They got it done 3 nothing. If you had the minus 75,000, congrats on your $100 payday from the Women's World Cup win on Friday. They're back at it with the Netherlands. Hate the Dutch. Isn't that where the men played when they were in the in the Men's World Cup? Wasn't that the team they played that eliminated them, the Netherlands? Team USA and the Netherlands on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. That'll do it for us here. We'll be recapping a pivotal Brewers-Red series on Friday. Get you set up for the rematch with the Braves in Atlanta, and we'll be talking a lot about the trade deadline on Friday. Have a good work week. We'll chat with you then.